The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the all-star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. We're going to have Mark Sweeney, former player and broadcaster for the San Diego Padres, Kylie McDaniel from ESPN, and we'll have Scott Merkin, MLB.com, covers the Chicago White Sox. Look out, the Chai Sox are going to be good. But Mark Sweeney's always a great interview, and hard to believe there's a lot of teams not spending money. One of the teams spending money is the San Diego Padres. Here's Mark Sweeney. Well, he had a hell of a career as a player, and now he does a great job nationally and also locally in San Diego. Mark Sweeney is with us. Swing Dog, how are you? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Well, I got to tell you, your guys' broadcast, I don't care what the score is. I, you guys, you start going in Rosillo and Mark Grant. I mean, you guys, no one has more fun doing their jobs in baseball than you guys do. Uh, those two are prime timers, man. I just fill in uh, and, and have as much fun as I can because that's what the game's about, uh, honestly. I mean, we've, we, th- those guys do a fabulous job. Uh, they have great chemistry, uh, but we're just telling stories. And it's not really uh, rocket science here. We're just telling about what's happening, and we're going to have a good time doing it. You know, my brother is a San Diego Padres season ticket holder, and – I don't think my brother has been this excited since that team you were on in 1998. I mean, just talk about how San Diego is so jacked for Padre baseball after all these moves. Yeah, you know what? This fan base is waiting a long time. And, and, you know, when you start talking about 1998, and they've had some successful years getting into the playoffs and uh, early exits has been, you know, the downfall. But Man, when you make moves like this, as you know, uh, when you get starting pitching, you have the ability to uh, further that, um, have the ability to have that excitement. But I think they started that last year in the 60-game truncated season. Um, They started playing much better. They had some really good success stories that came out of nowhere, like a Jake Cronenworth, which was a great story. But you also had guys like Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis Jr. coming on. And, man, these guys are get, get exciting because now you have an offense and you start acquiring, starting pitching like they did. Uh, man, that's a nice story. A.J. Preller has been a big hunter before. I just, in this climate where everybody's sitting on their hands and all of a sudden it's just move after move and you're like, you're getting Snell, who's won a Cy Young Award. Uh, Darvish could have won it last year if not for Trevor Bauer. I mean, it was. what was it like when all of a sudden these moves started coming down? What were you thinking? You know what? Uh, you know, the devastating thing was he made the move on the trading deadline for Mike Clevenger, and yeah. everyone was excited because it kind of pushed everyone else back. And Nelson Lamette was having a very good year, but, you know, that put him at the number two spot. Uh, Chris Paddock's had – uh, up and coming um, a year last year, struggled a little bit this year, but you started putting people in place and you also had some experience. Um, so when Mike Clevenger's injury happened at the end of the year, it was devastating. Also, Denelson Lamette went down. So you kind of felt that A.J. Preller and his staff were going to go out there and try to get some starting pitching, maybe an innings eater. 
I didn't realize it was going to be Blake Snell and, and you Darvish. I mean, that, who, who does? Those are bold moves, but you get it done because you have a, a, a minor league system that a lot of people are trying to get to. Um, and they've developed that. They've been very patient. But man, when you start getting two guys of that caliber where they can frontline your rotation, uh, obviously, I think the team's excited, the fan base is excited, and man, we get to have more fun, which is is kind of fun for us uh, being broadcasters. You know, a, a couple articles have been written about it, and it's you know kind of scary the state of baseball that there were 29 teams out there that could have got you Darvish, and what the Padres gave up were a, a lot of a lot of kids. I mean, some of, I think some of them were 17 years old. They didn't they didn't even play last year. Uh, what did you think about the haul that the Padres had to give up to get you, Darvish? Because a lot of young guys. Yeah, it's interesting because I think, uh, like, like I said, I, I think uh, A.J. Preller and his staff have done a great job, uh, obviously, drafting international market. They've done a very good job trying to acquire these guys. But uh, they understand the importance of, of making a trade. Uh, you know, you, you look at the trade he made with the White Sox getting Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, he was only 17, 18 when they traded for him. So that can happen. I, I know the talent that went over there. We didn't put our eyes on them too much because they were in lower levels. We don't get the opportunity to see those guys. But, man, uh, a, a lot of guys in the organization spoke, spoke very highly of the haul that Chicago Cubs get. So you look at Jed Hoyer, you understand that that's, you want to try to layer your system and get some talent through it, uh, through within. I think they did a very good job with that. That being said, I think the Padres are in a position where they have to go out there and, and seize an opportunity because they got to close the gap with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Well, speaking of the Dodgers, you know, you got a chance to play against that Braves team that had one of the greatest runs in the history of the game where they won their division 14 straight years. You look back on that and it's just like, wow. But uh, the Dodgers, they've won it eight straight years. They're now the World Series champion. Yeah, how much of that gap do you think the Padres have closed on the Dodgers? Yeah, to your point, I, I mean, they are the, the cream of the crop, especially in the National League, if not baseball now. Um, they have a template that I think a lot of people are trying to emulate, very difficult to do. Um, and they added Mookie Betts last year, which I think probably put them over the top. Uh, they develop well. Um, they have versatility in their roster. I think that gap has been reduced. I still think they're the cream of the crop, and that's okay. I think the Padres understand that, that it's a fear factor. You go into a series, whether it's a regular season or you get into the playoffs and you play them, you got to play your best. You have to pitch well. You have to execute. And I think the Padres have done a nice job with that, trying to add a little bit of versatility because when Dave Roberts is making moves at the end of the game um, and switching positions, being able to adapt to his roster, uh, they almost seem that they get stronger as the game goes along. And they have that formula. you got to have the players to do that. I think the Padres definitely have that now. Um, there's some tweaking with the roster, I'm sure, that A.J. Preller thinks. But, man, they're, they're closer. And I don't think they fear the Dodgers, even though they should respect them. And I think that's always uh, something that you should do. You know, we saw Manny Machado for years here in the American League when we'd be taking on the Baltimore Orioles. So we know what kind of player and the kind of talent he has. Uh, you played with Hall of Famers and you played against some of the best players who have ever played the game. 
How do you rate Fernando Tatis Jr. when you start looking against all those great players you played with or against? Yeah, you know what? And and we have to pump the brakes with it, too, because when you start talking about Hall of Famers and you start talking about the talent in the game, I, I think it takes time. You guys watch uh, Chapman play on a daily basis. And, man, that guy is starting to put up numbers. He's starting to defend the way he has. Um, that's a guy that you start looking at and going, man, this guy can – uh, can do it all. I mean, these are some of the things that I think Fernando Tatis is trying to do. He does it differently because of the energy he brings on a daily basis. I've said this to a bunch of people, and it's not a surprise now because he's been around for two years. Um, he hasn't played a full season yet. And the amount of games that hasn't even reached 162 yet. So that's why I say pump the brakes. But his energy is infectious. And why I say that, I think he betters uh, Manny Machado. And that's amazing that you're talking about a guy that just turned 22 the other day and he is really motivating Manny Machado to be a better player. That being said, Manny is a huge influence on him and it's a great mesh. That left side of the infield is going to be there for a long time. And man, that's a nice luxury for the Padres to have. You know, it was the Fox game of the week, uh, A's against the uh, Padres, where they mic'd up a bunch of our guys and they mic'd up your guys and they yep. had Fernando Tassi. And I, I loved it because, you know, I didn't know, I, I don't know what kind of personality he has, but all of a sudden he's mic'd up out there and he's talking about, you know, you got to look good to play good. And I'm like, this kid's got, he's got so much personality. We need to show, like Mookie Betts, we need to show all these young guys that are so talented. We need to show everybody their great personalities. I couldn't agree with you more. I think you uh, realize that, um, you know, you have to grow the game. Um, if you have the energy, you have the ability to go out there and be that guy that uh, is not scared of failing, but also you're going to put energy into that particular game, but also your personality is going to come out. Um, I love that. A lot of these guys are guarded now, and for obvious reasons, social media has a lot to do with that. But Fernando Tatis Jr. was raised the right way. Um, he speaks with respect, but he also sits there and shows flash. And I think he does it in a classy way. Um, it, it's, it's yet to be determined, but I think everyone sees exactly what you saw on that game of the week. His personality comes out, and I think national media and also the attention he's getting. He's already on the Gatorade commercial, so you're going to probably see a lot of that. So... I think a lot of people say, you know, the, the face of baseball a little bit too much. I think it has a lot to do with players across the game. Grow the game as much as you can, show personality, and really show the fans that you are a normal guy that's going out there and you're a very talented player. That's what he does, and I love the ascension he is on. You know, you think about all these guys who are free agents right now, and you, under, you understand that role, and, you know, some of the front offices are saying – we haven't even been given our budget, so we don't even know what we could sign you for yet. What do you think it would be like to be, you know, out on the market right now? You're in January. Before you know it, February is going to be here. What do you think it'd be like? What, what do you think it'd be like to be a free agent right now? You know what? It's a great question. I think it's it's all tears, right? Um, uh, I was a I was a guy that was a pinch hitter that had to wait a long time for free agency to work work it out, self out. Um, you got an early call with some teams having interest, but that call was, there was a lot of space in between. And that was typical back in the day because you had your tiers where the stars signed. Um, you had some big name pitchers signed. 
and it started filtering down. But we had to wait. These guys that are waiting, that are stars, uh, the JT Real Muto, um, uh, all of these guys that are that have to wait to sign, uh, Trevor Bauer. I think so many guys wait, and it's they get impatient. So it's going to be a flurry of moves uh, for guys that are in um, role playing. And that's going to be very difficult for those guys at the end when they're trying to get a, a roster spot. So there's going to be a lot of uh, wheeling and dealing. And I still think the trade market is going to be very volatile too, because if you don't get one of those starting pitchers, uh, you're going to have to be creative. And I think uh, AJ Prowler and his staff felt that they had to be creative early in this process. All right, let's end on this. Let's say you never play baseball and you go on to play quarterback at the University of Maine, do we see you playing on Sundays in the NFL? I was, uh, no, they would not have seen me in the NFL, but man, I would have had fun because that was my first love. I, I loved football. I love that mentality, but I think I made the right choice going to baseball and, and uh, figuring out a way I could, I could carve out a career. I was blessed to be in the league for that long, but man, football is always my favorite. So Saturdays and Sundays in the offseason, I'm still watching football like I was playing. So I, I get excited, but I think I made the right choice, and I'm very blessed to, to have that uh, where I had a career in baseball, and I was very fortunate. You don't know. You could have been the next Steve Young. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, did I watch him. I, Jim Zorn was my favorite growing up, believe it or not, and that's the reason why I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan to this day. Hey, great stuff. I, I, I hope to I hope to see you down at spring training. I mean, I think we're all hoping for that. But uh, be safe with the family. Be well. And we always appreciate it. Thanks. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me on. And uh, can't wait for baseball to start. Swing dog. Always great to have him on. Kylie McDaniel covers the minor leagues and does a great job covering Major League Baseball for ESPN.com. Well, first off, before we start talking anything baseball, we want to know, how did the wedding go? Uh, successfully, I am married. Uh, I was actually just in the kitchen uh, reorganizing some cabinets because we got all these new like appliances and kitchen items. So I guess that's a, a positive manifestation of the, <laughs> the wedding working as we both are continuing to work from home. And so uh, ho- home life and work life uh, intersect more often than usual. Let's admit, the last time we talked, we're manufacturing stuff, right? I mean, it was like, what are we going to talk about? And then now... I mean, the sport has absolutely exploded. Uh, Carlos Beltran Part 2, where Jared Porter has been relieved of his duties as the GM. We've got signings all over the place. We knew the dam would break at some point, and it has finally broken as we've got baseball news all over the place. Yeah, and the big question, I think, coming into the offseason was how frothy would the free agent market be? Would all of the lost revenue as a result of the pandemic in last season really affect, uh, like, where would it affect the market? The presumption is it wouldn't affect the top of the market because those are still elite players. There's still demand for those guys. Will will it affect, you know, the lower end, the middle end? So far, what we've seen is the expected downturn. I think everybody expected once you get outside of those 50 million plus type players, uh, you would see guys taking huge discounts. What's happened so far is basically everyone that has signed has signed for either expectations or a little bit higher. And so now the sort of thought within the industry is when does the other shoe drop? When do all of these guys, you know, all the all the seats are taken uh, in the musical chairs and somebody that we thought would get, you know, two times 10 has to settle for one times seven. Uh, what happened to Mike Moustakis for a couple off seasons in a row before he got his, you know, four times 16 with Cincinnati. Uh, when do those guys start signing? Obviously, they, whoever gets left out has no incentive to sign yet. They're going to keep waiting 
for that to happen. But there's going to be an inflection point where essentially all the money is gone and whoever's left over has a sign for huge discounts, but it is not as bad as we thought it was going to be. Yeah, and and it, it's tough to tell your audience because there we have been so conditioned that all right, we all go to the winter meetings where you know it's supposed to be in Dallas this year, and you have all the big signings, and then you know they'll trickle down a little bit in, in January, maybe some in February, and then maybe some contracts right before spring training. And I was like, hey, listen, for us baseball people who do this year round. I have no problem stretching this thing out because this now gives me stuff to talk about in December, January. We're going to have signings in February. We're going to have signings leading all the way up to hopefully when we start spring training. And then all of a sudden, you know, the Padres seem to be the big winner of the offseason. Uh, on the phone now is the Toronto Blue Jays. Not so fast. Yeah. And it sounds like that, you know, the Mets may have another move in them yet. I mean, if they go get Trevor Bauer, then, you know, them and the Padres are probably sitting there. Uh, atop the heap of best off seasons, but then obviously you have the White Sox and the Blue Jays right there. And that was also before anybody signed for any money, the sort of uh, buzz within the game, you kind of see it reported by some of the scoops people and you know people like me kind of project who's going to go where it was like, all right, it sounds like the White Sox and the Blue Jays are going to spend some money. Like, you know, it's, you know, sounds like, you know, Dodgers probably going to dip in. And then when, once the Mets got new owners, it's like, all right, they're going to spend some money but I don't think we have enough spots to sort of spend on all the good players. And it's like, no, actually those, you know, throw in San Diego. It's like, yeah, there were, there were enough teams going that there are two guys or two teams at least bidding for every free agent and top trade uh, target. And that's actually all you need. And that may be all we had in some of those situations. Once we uh, find out, you know, afterwards how the, how the bidding went, a lot of these free agents that have signed pretty big deals, it wasn't more than two or three teams that were in there late. Uh, and luckily we just didn't have one where it was, you know, one team bidding and then the price goes way down. Well, I got to tell you, if these rumors are true and Toronto's going to be picking up Michael Brantley to go with George Springer, basically you're taking two-thirds of the Astros outfield. I mean, wow, to go with all those young, terrific players that they have. That, I mean, you start looking at the American League East and you just go, wow. Yeah, and I think the National League East is also there with it looked like it was going to be uh, Atlanta and then probably Washington uh, with, uh, you know, Miami doing the rebuild sort of on the way headed in the right direction. And then the Mets announced themselves as they're going to be right up there at the top. Um, and then obviously the Phillies are spending a bunch of money. They just haven't been able to put it together yet. It's like you got, you know, four should be competitive teams and one team that's on the way. And in the in, uh, AL East, it's like, all right, well, Tampa Bay was the one that you, you know, was sort of like the dark horse, and now they're probably the favorite. Uh, and then, like you said, the rest of the division, like Boston now, is, uh, I guess Boston and Baltimore would be the two where you're not sure what they're going to do, but Boston's obviously going to be back soon, if not this year. And Baltimore is that, you know, that analog for Miami that's headed in the right direction, it's probably a couple years away, but they might be dangerous pretty soon. You know, I kept saying on this show, there's no way J DJ LeMay who's leaving the Yankees. You just really, I mean, we saw Robbie Cano do it. And look, you end up going, you get a bunch of money, but you go to Seattle and no one watches you play. I just, you know, where he is in his career, I just, I had a hard time believing the Yankees were going to allow someone to outspend them. And I had a hard time believing DJ LeMay who was going to leave the Bronx. And even the reported ones, which was basically the Dodgers might pick him, put him at third base and let Justin Turner walk seemed a little far-fetched. And then Toronto was kicking around on him and Lindor. And they also already had Bichette, Guerrero, and Biggio in the infield. So it's like both of those, you could see it happening, but it would be like a pretty bold move to kind of walk away from what's been working for you. 
to then go get this guy who, like you said, like not only like, you know, uh, took a real step up as a player in with the Yankees, but they also really need him and they have enough money to resign him and basically not anybody else. They're not probably not going to sign Tanaka or Paxton. Uh, it, yeah, it just seemed like it, it fit too well to avoid it. And still sitting out there is Trevor Bauer. Rumors out there that the Dodgers could be interested. You mentioned the Mets. I mean, the Blue Jays supposedly were they were in there at what time? At what time? How are you projecting Trevor Brow Trevor Bauer at this point? So the most recent sort of chatter that wasn't really like reported, but sort of you know scuttlebutt you hear in the industry was a the Dodgers. There's for some reason they are not acting on Justin Turner yet, and they didn't you know, didn't go heavy on Lemayhew. Um, so obviously they've got some amount of money. I don't think they're afraid to go into the luxury tax. So there's not technically like a ceiling on how much they're going to spend. And I think they think they could use one more pitcher. So he makes sort of perfect sense there as like a hired gun, one year deal, 25, maybe $30 million. Uh, and then hit the market again next year when it might be a little more hardy. He'll have a couple of years of, of really elite performance instead of just, you know, one and a half or two that he has right now. Uh, there's rumors at the beginning of the offseason that the angels would make some sense, but in signing Quintana yesterday, uh, there's some thought that they might be, you know, done making their moves, that they didn't want to make a huge uh, commitment. They want to do more one-year deals, as Perry Manassian, the new GM, uh, did when he was in Atlanta uh, under Alex Anthopoulos. Uh, obviously, the Mets are sitting right there. The rumor is they're going to go into luxury tax as well, but they're not there yet. And so Bauer could be the one to push them over the top. Um, but obviously, they already have a pretty good <laughs> rotation. So they don't necessarily need them in the same way the Mets didn't need Springer. Um, but yeah, Steve, Steve Cohen is the kind of guy you'd be scared of. Uh, and yeah, and then, you know, you, you can't really rule anyone out. The Giants are actually the big sort of rumor as the team who is not really spending money this year, who is rumored to have a lot of money to spend next offseason when they think their core will be coming together. And then that next offseason with all those um, shortstops will be available. Uh, Correa, uh, Lindor, if he doesn't sign an extension, Corey Seager, uh, Trevor Story, Javi Baez, uh, Chris Bryant, Freddie Freeman that they're going to go, uh, especially with all this money coming off the books and the prospects coming up, that they're going to spend next offseason. It wouldn't shock me if they would be in the derby for Trevor Bauer for just this season to try to sneak into the playoffs, uh, you know, make a move. Uh, they have a long history now under uh, Farhan Zaidi of improving pitchers. And for one year, you're not taking on that much risk. What are you hearing about our man Marcus Simeon? There was some chatter about a week ago that he was getting close to a deal. I wonder if that was sort of running parallel to some of the Lindor talks that he's like sort of a backup option for some of the same teams. And I think he also intersects with the LeMahieu market. He's also represented by Wasserman, the same agency that represented LeMahieu, where it sounds like uh, the Dodgers especially were considering both of them along with Justin Turner. Because I think he's seen as a guy that fits at shortstop, but if you're a team that already has a shortstop, you can put him at second or third. He's probably not a one-year deal in the same way that Andrelton Simmons, a couple other free agents may be, because uh, he doesn't want to hit that market next offseason. I was just talking about with the other shortstops. Yeah. Uh, but you probably don't want to go four years, so it's probably a two- or three-year deal. And it sounds like it's mostly competing teams that see him as a possible multi-positional fit, right-hand hitter that can play all over the field, which obviously we've seen in recent years. The teams that you know make it deep in the playoffs tend to have one or two sort of too many uh, good uh, position players for that sort of opening day lineup. And then by the time you get to playoffs, they have sort of just the right amount. So, you know, 11 or 12 position players kind of turns into eight or nine by the time you get deep in the playoffs. So I think he's going to fit with one of those teams. And I think the Dodgers are probably the next one to watch because they seem like the contender with the most money to spend that hasn't made a huge move yet. Okay. So if the A's do lose Marcus Simeon and Billy Bean calls you and David Force calls you and they want, okay, 
where should we go from here? You, somebody's got to play shortstop. I don't think Nick Allen is ready. Uh, where do you go if you're the A's? It's a good question. There's a, they have shown in the past that they are not as married to the idea of we need the Ray Ordonez type shortstop. Like Simeon Messinez probably isn't a shortstop, and he turned into one while he was there. Uh, I was actually told that the year that, that Oakland went for Simeon, their backup plan was Kike Hernandez to become sort of the everyday shortstop. Um, so they're not afraid of, of sort of that second base utility, maybe third base sort of guy, and figure out a way to make him into a shortstop. Uh, I mean, right now, if once you you know go into the area where you think they'd be willing to spend, uh, you get Didi Gregorius, who might be a one or two year deal for you know eight or ten million a year. There's a number of second basemen. Obviously, Justin Turner I mentioned as a third baseman, uh, and then you get down to like sort of Andrelton Simmons and some of these sort of just perfectly fine sort of options. So there's not really like a you know, a center cut sort of option where for a one or two year deal for eight or 10 million a year, you're getting exactly what you want, unless they really like Didi Gregorius, in which case I think he, he could fit, uh, but he obviously comes with some words as well. You know, a guy that we loved, and once you put him into the A's lineup, it really changed the lineup, was Tommy Listello, and they brought him over from Anaheim. Uh, rumors are he could be returning to the athletics. Where are you on the 31-year-old free agent second baseman? There was some buzz at the beginning of the offseason that he may be in line for a three-year, $30-plus million deal as a guy that's sort of first base, second base, DH, maybe left field, uh, can really hit, has been trending up in that regard, and is sort of a solid bet to you know sort of find a place in the lineup. Um, it sounds like that market may not have materialized in quite the same way. Uh, I would I would assume Oakland wouldn't be there for three for thirty plus, uh, but I think you know anywhere a, a notch or two below that they would be in play, and I think now as that sort of top of the free agent position player market is playing out, we're getting an idea of where that second tier is, where I think it's a little more Nelson Cruz, Marcelo Zuna, and obviously Lestal has a little more positional flexibility than those two, but they're they're all sort of in the bat first, uh, you know DH is a real option in terms of where you might play them sort of option, whereas at second, like pure second baseman, there's still a lot of options. Colton Wong, Cesar Hernandez, Jerickson Profar, Jonathan Scope. Uh, there's just all kinds of options there if somebody wants a pure second baseman. Uh, and then obviously I think Oakland's current team right now has a lot of guys that probably fit best at second or third. Um, but then obviously with, you know, not necessarily a true shortstop and Matt Chapman, that kind of limits your options a little bit. So my uh, producer, Commander Cody, uh, was just perplexed Cody, you can join where A.J. Puck was not a top 10 left-handed pitcher uh, considered as a prospect. And, uh, Kylie, I, I said, the guy hasn't been able to stay healthy. How can he continue to be a top 10 prospect for lefties? He's a tricky one. Uh, I think we're probably going to see similar things with him and uh, raised lefty Brendan McKay as they both had sort of, I guess we'll say, extensive arm issues. Brent Honeywell with the Rays is another one that have been sort of perennial top 100 prospects. Uh, McKay and Puck specifically, I think, have been top 20, top 25 in pretty much every every service, including mine. And yeah, at some point when, you know, th there's there's uh, something to the sort of inertia theory of, of pitching prospect health, which is guys that are hurt tend to stay hurt and guys that are healthy tend to stay healthy. And so once you've been hurt for the better part of a couple of years, uh, you know, there's other sexier guys that kind of slide ahead of you. But then also it's like, well, can we just assume that this guy's going to continue getting hurt? Whereas, you know, like Lazardo had Tommy John surgery. Uh, right around when he was drafted out of the high school. And then, like, hasn't really had, like, huge arm problems in a way. Like, sometimes these guys, like Jacob DeGrom, did the same thing. He had TJ early in his career, hasn't really had trouble later. And then there's some guys like Strasburg who have two TJs, and then between them, they have really not that many problems either. So there's, like, all kinds of different versions of 
how uh, how arms react to arm surgery. Uh, but it would not surprise me if there is somebody that leaves AJ Puck off of their top 100 and then he has three good starts and they update their top 100 and kind of slide him in the top 50 and don't say anything about it. Because he's one of those guys with a really wide error bar. I could, I could see the season going a bunch of different ways for him. You know, I want to give you guys some love at ESPN because I don't think you guys get enough love for what you do covering the game, you know, uh, with you and Buster and Schoenfeld and all you guys. I, I think at the website, I think you guys do a good a job covering baseball as anyway as anybody. I mean, you can go right now, and I'm on it. Every single free agent, you've got the free agent tracker, will tell you who they played for, who their new team is, and there's a lot of no new teams. But, I mean, you guys cover baseball as good as anybody. And if you had to project, who's the next big name off the board? Who would it be? That is a good question. Um if we say big names, so we'll say like top 10 to 15 kind of free agents. Yeah. Um, I mean, Brantley seems like a, <laughs> a fair one to throw out there since he technically hasn't agreed to terms, but it's been reported widely that he had. Uh, I, yeah, I, I would say probably Bauer of the top guys. I, I think his market is coming into focus now. I think almost all of the top starting pitchers other than Tanaka, who may be going back to Japan, uh, have signed the top of the – starting pitcher trade market has, has sort of finished the teams that have money other than the Dodgers has basically spent it. Uh, so I think that report from Jeff, uh, whatever that was a couple hours ago, uh, that's in line with what I've been hearing the last couple of weeks that it seems like it's starting to get narrowed down and he only has so many places to go. I still think it's going to end up being a one year deal, maybe one with an option, maybe two, like somewhere on the short end of things. So he can sort of prove it. Uh, Cause he also kind of has the, you know, supreme confidence in himself to be able to achieve whatever it is he set out to do. But I, I think uh, Ozuna and Nelson Cruz may be some of the later ones to move just because not knowing what the NLDH situation is, they can't really move. And Real Muto, I haven't gotten the sense that he is close to a deal yet. I think he's still shopping around to try to find that Springer type deal, which I'm not sure he's going to find. So that leads me to Bauer. Well, I got to tell you, once again, uh, you guys do a great job at ESPN. You really do. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate it. We have, we've sort of, uh, I wouldn't say stumbled into, it's not like I'm the one in charge of hiring all these people, but uh, I think I think we've also kind of uh, put together a nice team of people. Obviously, you know, Jeff doing most of the news breaking and then I'm doing, you know, most of the prospect stuff and Buster does a lot of sort of pull the industry and, what, you know, what's he, what's he hearing about, you know, news and notes and things like that. And then uh, Schoenfeld doing more of the reaction news stuff. Like, I think we have, you know, some of the best at each of those things. And then each of us has a couple of crossover things we can do where, you know, Buster or I might pitch in on a, uh, on a, you know, scoop thing here or there. Uh, and, you know, Schoenfeld will, you know, do some sort of news and notes things around the industry. Like, I think, I think we got a nice sort of mix of guys. And I, I tend to agree that when I go to the, you know, ESPN.com slash MLB and just sort of look around, I'm like, man, we're like, uh, we're staying on top of this stuff <laughs> with, with not the biggest roster in the world. Well, Hey, remember this first couple of years of marriage. She's always right. You just got to remember that. <laughs> There's been a lot of, where do you want to put the food processor? I'm like, I don't know. Where do you want to put it? (laughs) (laughs) What what, what color towels should we have? I don't care. It's a towel. Just whatever color you want, just pick it. As long as it towels. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, you're the best. We appreciate it. Be well. We'll talk soon. Yep. Thanks for having me. Kylie's always a good get. And how about Scott Merkin, who covers the White Sox for MLB.com? As we said, the Padres have been spending money. The White Sox have been spending money. We saw them in the playoffs last year. We know how good they can be. They're going to be tough this year. Here's Scott Merkin. Scott Merkin, who covers the White Sox for MLB.com, is going to join us 
in moments. God, how are you? Chris Townsend with the Oakland Athletics. Good. How are you guys doing? Uh, well, we're kind of sad because, you know, y- you're getting one heck of a, a, a human being. Liam Hendricks, you know, away from baseball is one of the best guys you're ever going to meet. And I think for uh, the Chicago White Sox, a lot of their fans have to be pretty pleased with the deal that they have made for truly one of the best closers in the game of baseball. Yeah, that's the consensus opinion I've received from people, the number of people who have covered him and people who were covering him last year that I heard about. And I know his quotes about the White Sox after he, uh, was it Mazzaro was his last guy he struck out, I think, in game three of the wild card series and eliminated the Sox were, were pretty genuine. Not the Lou Holtz, we got to really prepare for Navy, even though they're a, minor, you know, a 38-point underdog. They're going to give us the best game of our life. This was like genuine, like, man, I'm impressed by that team. That team was really good, and we beat them, you know? So you could tell. You can, And I've read stories about him and heard great things about him. So, yeah, he'll – He'll fit in well. It's a really good clubhouse, and I think that's one of the things that Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams and Jerry Reinsdorf have strived, strived for is that you know they're trying to get really good players who are really good fits in the clubhouse as well to build a really good you know team going for the championship. Yeah, you take me back to the late 80s there. It would be hilarious. Lou Holtz, it's us against oh the Oh, my God. You're going to win Every by time. You're going to win by 40. What are you talking about? Yeah, it was usually before the game, right? It was usually like, you know, Notre Dame was minus 26, and he'd be like, well, man, this, this I've looked at this tape, and they might have the best offensive line I've ever seen, and, like, they were averaging 65 yards a game rushing or something like that. Hey, I, I'll, I'll preface it by saying I'm a Michigan grad and I'm not a Notre Dame fan at all, but those things always struck me as ridiculous. Like, I, I know he couldn't come out and say, well, geez, if we don't win this by 30, we're pretty bad, but he went overboard the other way, I think, at times. But in this case, Liam Hendricks' comments were kind of, specific and spot on when he was talking about the team after they had eliminated him. And it, it sounded more than like a good luck to you type of concession speech while we move on, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I got to ask you, cause you know, we got to know him while he was here and he's, he's, he's a, uh, he's a hard guy to cover as a Michigan grad. How do you feel about Harbaugh and how do you feel about the extension? Wow. That's a good question. Uh, you know, I, I, I was talking about this with someone last night. I think that, he had a, a 10 win season his first year. And then he started nine and zero his second year. And they had a really good team that year. And they lost one of those, you know, tough Saturday night games at Iowa, who wasn't great. They lost like 13, 11. Then the next week was the game against Ohio state where Ohio state got the call on the fourth and inches in overtime and they scored. And it just has all gone downhill since then. Now, again, not like downhill, like they're winning three games every year, but downhill where they can't beat Ohio state. They, you know, usually fall in the middle of the pack at like eight or nine win team. He had a really good recruiting class from the stuff I've read. So, you know, got to be hopeful that he can turn around. It was it was a weird year this year, just like you look at guys who struggled, you know, like a Christian Yelich or a Javier Baez last year who struggled. And you realize that, yeah, I mean, you're not going to take away from the guys who played well, but that it was 60 games and in some cases less than 60 games. And these guys are going to bounce back. So, you know, I'm more focused on Juwan Howard right now and the greatness that he's forming in the basketball program in Michigan as opposed to – uh what Jim Harbaugh is doing football wise over there, but you guys didn't know him. He did a re- real nice job at Stanford and even better job in with the 49ers. Right. Oh yeah. No, no, no doubt about it. I mean, he won a lot of football games and getting back to the white Sox, I, you know, sure. not, not, not only Liam Hendricks, but really everybody with the A's walked away from that series going, this is a, this is a potential sleeping giant. Like there's a lot right. of talent. Um, there's young talent. I mean, we, we all know how good a brave is, uh, but, 
just talk about going forward in a hundred, you know, hopefully we're going to play 162 games. That's a lot different than 60. How do you start looking at the American League Central? Well, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to uh, Hawk Harrelson, one of the all-time broadcast greats, the other day, and he, he made the comment that he thought if the Sox had Lance Lynn in the playoffs last year, they would have won the World Series. Now, now that might have been a little exaggerated. I don't know if they were ready at that point, but you know, I do think you look at that series, and this has taken nothing away from Dane Dunning, who's since been traded to Texas for Lance Lynn, and Dylan Cease, who's another great young pitcher. But, you know, they didn't have a lot of confidence in them going into game three of that series and ended up using nine relievers. And then Garrett Crochet, their top pick, was such a great start, you know, in, in his appearances last year, got a little, got injured and had to leave the game early. So if they did have a little more, a little st- steadier rotation or a little more confidence in their young guys going into that series, who knows what would have happened? Oakland was a very good team, but who knows what would have happened? So, yeah, there's a big jump to go from, you know, finishing one game out in 60 games. They've had a lot of good teams for 60 games in the 18 years I've covered them, only to fall short. So, it, you know, it's it's kind of a balance across the year, and I think they understand that. I think last year was a good start for them, and you talk to every player, especially the ones who have been there for a while and been there, you know, during the losing, whether it was in the minor leagues or just getting a taste in the majors, and they say it's a different feel, you know, even without Sox Fest this year, even with spring training looking like it's going to start on time, but not completely certain. They feel like, you know, the rebuild is done. That ended last year when they made the playoffs. And, you know, there's been a lot of World Series or bus talk during this uh, offseason. So that's their target. In terms of the AL Central, you know, nothing's done yet. There's still plenty of time for all teams, including the White Sox, to make more additions. I, you know, I think to quote the uh, great Ric Flair, to be the man, you got to beat the man, right? So you got to knock Minnesota off that top spot. Cleveland's still got really good pitching, even trading, you know, Carrasco and Lindor. And Detroit and Kansas City have some good young talent, but they're still, uh, you know, years away from contending. So I still think it's a three-team race, but I think right now, if you're just asking me today, the White Sox are pretty, in my mind, pretty clear-cut favorite in the AL Central. Yeah, I just I to, to me with Cleveland, I mean, you think about Bauer gone, Clevenger gone, Lindor gone. They've got so much talent has left. It's just I, I and I know people keep and you mentioned it that the people think they can still win. It just I, I have a hard time envisioning all that talent leaving and them really competing for the division against the White Sox and the Twins. Yeah, I mean, they've lost a lot, but, I mean, think what they still have. You know, I mean, Bieber was pretty much hands down the best starting pitcher in baseball last year, right? I mean, Savali's pretty good, if I'm pronouncing his name right. Uh, Plesak was excellent. Uh, they have Tristan McKenzie, who, you know, had a really good uh, start last year as a, as a very young pitcher for the Indians. And, yeah, I'm sure they'll add maybe some other guys here and there. I mean, the offense took a hit without Lindor, although Lindor – was, you know, the games I watched was not Lindor of the past last year. And again, 60 game sample size, very tough to say, oh, he's changed just because of that, you know, and you still have Jose Ramirez in there. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, people write them off and for some reason they still keep hanging in there, you know? So I think they have a team to be competitive for sure. Are they going to win the division? No, probably not. Not unless something really goes right or really goes wrong with the teams above them. But I, even with the guys they lost, they still have a pretty talented group there. As a guy who's been in this game a long time, how bizarre is it that in an offseason, the big players so far have been the San Diego Padres and the Chicago White Sox? Well, I mean, you know, the Padres were made another good push like the White Sox last year, and they have some great guys in place there with, you know, just Machado and Tatis. 
some of the young starters they have. So you kind of had a feeling they were going to go for it. And the Sox, you know, also knew they were close. And, you know, Tony La Russa is the manager. Jerry Reinsdorf is very close with Tony La Russa. He's spoken of him in articles I've done before, like a brother. So as people have said many times, Jerry Reinsdorf didn't bring Tony La Russa in to kind of just mind the store. You know, I mean, he brought him in to win championships. You know, let's say Tony La Russa is there three years. He's going to do all he can to win three championships. Not that he was selling Rick Renteria or Robin Ventura short, but, you know, it was different different situations. Renteria, up until last year, was presiding over a rebuild. So you're not going to add big names, although they tried to go after Manny Machado a couple of seasons ago. But you're not going to add these kind of names because you're not trying to be a contender. You're trying to build the infrastructure, the kind of young core in your system. So I'm not surprised. I, I think, you know, the addition of Larusa, that impetus, probably pushed them to go a little a little deeper. But you know, I, I figured they would go for a closer. I, I will say this, that, you you know, having watched the game for a while, as you guys have too, you know, I nothing to me stunts the momentum of a good team than consistently losing late in games, you know. And, I, and consistently, I mean like three, four, five times. You know, there's nothing worse than going into the ninth, up 4-2, and then, you know, six batters later, you lost 5-4. And all of a sudden, you're like, how did that get away? You know, everyone else kind of did it. And I'm not taking anything away from Alex Kalman because Alex Kalman was really good. And I understand, you know, the great stat cast metrics we have that can, you know, go deeper behind the numbers. And to me, though, to say, well, you know, he's going to come back down to earth. They've been saying that for a while, and he's been really good as a closer. And he was really good at guaranteed rate field, which is a tough part to pitch in. But, you know, they went up and got that dominant closer in Liam Hendricks. They got a very solid reliever, maybe one of the best uh, starters, I'm sorry, in baseball in the last couple of years in Lance Lynn. So they've, you know, and then they added Adam Eaton to the outfield. So they've already strengthened the team in areas they needed help on. So it's not that surprising to me because both teams really see, you know, the, the kind of promised land uh, sooner than later. You know, Tony Larusa obviously has been on our show quite a bit. He's a friend of the program and we're always rooting for him. And last week we had Dave Stewart on and Stu and Tony are tight. And I was like, Stu, everybody's acting like, He's old. He's not going to be able to relate. I'm like, if you go back to the late 80s and early 90s, Tony La Russa managed the biggest egos we've ever seen in Ricky Henderson right. and Jose Canseco and Dave Parker and Dennis Eckersley. It's like, I just, I, I just, I was kind of shocked when people went, oh, how's he going to relate to players? I'm like, Tony's not going there to be the old man. Tony's going there to win and he's, he's, he's going, he's going to relate to these players. He understands how to manage egos. How do you see it? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any really big egos on that White Sox team right now anyways. I think this is a team that, remember, one of the benefits of rebuilds is that, you know, you develop them together, you let the players, learn, you know, lose together, and then they learn to win together, and that's what you have. So guys like Abreu, Giolito, Anderson, Bummer, uh, missing, you know, Moncada, Jimenez, Robert, not so much because he just came up last year, but all these guys have been together for a little bit and are, you know, ready – you know, last year they just didn't want to lose anymore. That was the bottom line, and they made that happen. They finished 35 and 25. Yeah, I, you know, I think the biggest question on Tony was, in terms of just baseball stuff, was just that, you know, he had not managed since 2011. And although he was in the game pretty much, you know, right until he got hired by the White Sox, but I think, you know, listening to Rick Hahn talk the day that they let go of Rick Renteria, it didn't, it didn't, what he was talking about didn't sound like Tony La Russa. It sounded more like A.J. Hinch. So I think that, or, you know, Alex Cora. So I think it kind of caught people by surprise, but yeah, it sounds like, you know, he's, he's, he's got a really good staff. 
you know, under him. And ter- they, I know they really like uh, the young pitching coach, Ethan Katz, who worked out in San Francisco, right? And they, uh, we talked to Shelly Duncan yesterday. There's a really astute baseball guy. Miguel Cairo is the bench coach. And, you know, they have some guys back from last year in terms of Daryl Boston and Joe McEwing and Kurt Hasser. So it's a good mix. And yeah, I think he'll do fine. I, you know, you don't forget baseball. And as Shelly Duncan talked about is that, you know, his dad and Tony LaRusso were kind of doing, you know, metric type work before there were metrics. And he joked that, you know, Dave Duncan said, you know, he's got to, he had to keep track of his own stats. There was nowhere to, you know, look up stats and find, you know, pitcher spin rate or something like that. He had to keep a bit track of his own stuff. So Tony LaRusso will be, will be fine in terms of handling that team. I think it, it, it caught a lot of people off guard, but, you know, that's the guy Jerry Reinsdorf wanted in, in manager and Jerry Reinsdorf runs a team. And that's the guy who's going to be leading them now. And, you know, let's not overlook the fact the man is a hall of famer who won three world series and ranks third or basically second all time in victories. Right. And soon we'll be, you know, either one or two, depending on how you look at the standings or, you know, the, the list of manager victories. So it's a damn good manager coming in, although he is, you know, a little bit older, he's 76 and has been out of the dugout for nine for 10 years now. Right. Let's end on this. Uh, in Chicago, okay. I, I, I'm sure White Sox fans are ecstatic, can't wait for the season. But what's it like Absolutely. for the Cubs? What I mean, the Cubs are—is it a retool? Is it what? What, what is what is going to happen with uh, as as they like to say the Northsiders? I don't think anyone really knows completely at this point because they traded Darvish, and that was kind of I think a look at that. Just my take that you could win the division with Darvish, but you probably weren't, he wasn't going to be there when you contended for the world series. You probably were, even if you had him and Hendricks at the top of that rotation, you probably weren't going to win the world series. So they traded him and got some young guys who were, you know, not real along with Davies who are not really close to the majors, but can kind of help you, you know, uh, in the, in the near, not near future, but in the future to, you know, it could be high end guys if they pan out. So I think we'll see over the next, you know, month, two months, what, what they do with Contreras, what they do with Brian, I guess what they do with Rizzo, you know, that sort of thing. But I mean, they, you know, if you look at the run they had, they had a really good run. Were they LCS in 15, 16, 17, won the World Series in 16, and then they struggled. Their offense kind of, you know, took a turn and they struggled those last couple of years. You know, they made the playoffs last year and I think scored one run in the two losses to the Marlins. So it was time for a change. But, you know, everyone talks about Rick Hans mentioned this is, I don't know if it's a catch line, but kind of the, the hook line for the rebuild and that talk to me after multiple championships. And boy, that's great to say. And that's the goal you should have. But, you know, the last team to win back to back in the American League is the Yankees back in what was it? Uh, 98, 99, 2000. Right. And the last team to win back to back in the National League, if you don't count the Giants, you know, three World Series in, in, in what, five, six years was the big red machine. So it's not easy to repeat. So I think they did. The Cubs did what they could, maybe tailed off a little at the end to disappoint some. But you know now it's time to kind of take a step back. And you know in that division though, 84, 85 wins may get you in the playoffs. And then you kind of take your chances from there. Hey, great stuff. We appreciate it. And uh, let, let's talk again during spring training. Sure, anytime. Look forward to uh, talking to Liam Hendricks some point in the near future about about the new team here. Yeah, you're gonna love him. He's such a great guy. Excellent. Thanks for having me. Be safe. Okay. Thank you. Well, we'd like to thank Mark Sweeney from the San Diego Padres, Kylie McDaniel from ESPN, and Scott Merkin, who covers the White Sox for MLB.com. They all joined us on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 